UX Podcast Episode 201. You're listening to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. We are your hosts, Pat Axboom. And James Royal Lawson. With listeners in 181 countries, from Ukraine to Belgium. And episode 201 is going to be a link show. And for those of you that don't know, that is where Per and I choose articles that we've stumbled upon in recent weeks. And... Um, Discuss them with you. Talk about them and discuss them with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, today, those two articles are Consistency in Design is the Wrong Approach by Jared Spool, who is JM Spool on Twitter. And the second one today will be The Joys of Polarity Mapping by Stephen Anderson, who's Stephen Anderson on Twitter. Well, go on, let's jump into it. So, um, consistency in design is the wrong approach. Um, this is a, a um, an article um, that Jared Spool uh, published um, recently. Oh yeah, it's a recent one, December twelfth, right? It's reasonably recent. Yeah. Um, and um, a part of the UX strategy playbook blog uh, that he has. Um, and I, I I read this and I I think it it just really I thought it was really Thought-provoking. Mm. So, what I do, I'll um, I'll give you a little bit of a, a summary of um, what it's about first. I'll, I'll read some of it. Um, consistency in design is about making elements uniform, having them look and behave the same way. We often hear designers talk about consistent navigation, consistent page layouts, or consistent control elements. In each case, the designer is looking for a way to leverage the usability by creating uniform- uniformity. After all, if the user learns to operate the design in one place, why not have that knowledge transfer to the next? This is all good, but wrong, says Jared. Yes. Now, <clears throat> what he also says, I'll, I'll read a little bit more to give you the the, the, um, the definition, I suppose, of, of why this is the right and wrong way of going about things. Uh, the problem with thinking in terms of consistency um, is that those thoughts focus purely on the design and the user can get lost. Is what I'm designing consistent with other things we've designed or others have designed? Mm. And Jared says, um, this is the wrong question to ask. What he proposes as a right question to ask is, will the user's current knowledge help them understand how to use what I'm designing? Where current knowledge is the knowledge the user has when they approach the design. Mm. It's the sum of all their previous experiences with relevant products and designs. That's quite a lot to, to take in, but... Um, um, but ultimately, we're, we're at this thing where, I mean, I know me and you over the over the years of the podcast, we've we've mentioned consistency a lot, mm-hmm. um, and we 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 always fall back. Like I think, like Jared it says, and we uh, feel that consistency is one of those consistency is one of those building blocks that we always have with us when we're doing design. I mean, it would be it would be crazy and alien for us if we kind of like you know sketched an interface or suggested a design to someone where it had like you know five different button types button designs right or five different uh, drop down menus 
Well, yeah, or, or you know, like two two completely different navigations. In fact, you know, when you're doing heuristic um, evaluations, you'd mark people down. In fact, WCA, WCAG, the, the accessibility guidelines, would mark you down. You'd fail it if you had you know, navigation that was inconsistent. Mm. So, so it's a really core belief and and way of working that we have. It is. So when, when so when Jared talks about how um, you know the consistency in design is wrong, let's <laughs> go. Mm, okay, <laughs> what's Jared getting at? But he's absolutely um, right. He is absolutely right because what he's saying is that when you make something in one way just because it has to look in the same way as another thing then you're not even considering user needs. So mm. it's he's putting two things against each other. He's putting one one of them is understanding what the user wants and the other thing is copying what else is on your website and making it look like that. And we even have design pattern libraries. So sometimes I think even like a calendar selection could be different on the same website depending on the context the user is currently in. I mm. think we have to be prepared to at least accept that that could be the case. Yeah, I mean, the the, the thing that f flipped my understanding on reading this was just the whole idea that consistency, um, by and large, we have as a as an insular thing. So, mm. so when we're working on, you know, we're working on our website or our product, and we try to be consistent within the realm of of that that thing, mm. that website. Now, that's all very well and good, but if if the way if the thing you're being consistent about is wrong then you're being consistently wrong yeah exactly and and whether it's wrong or right i mean yeah. uh, you can have all kinds of arguments about like you say design patterns or kind of standard and so on but but ultimately and this is Jared's point that um what makes it right or wrong isn't whether you've used the same thing everywhere on a on a on a product or site it's it's more does the user have does it does the user's knowledge and understanding of what you're presenting mm. to them allow them to appreciate the consistency that you've deployed yeah and he does say when you think about consistency you're thinking about the product when you're thinking about current knowledge you're thinking about the user and that's the big main point here isn't it that you're, mm. it takes so much energy to really understand users that people fall back into consistency because that feels all right and then there's a word of warning towards the end as well, which I really like, because we see these beautiful, beautiful websites and they're really consistent. And uh, so someone may even have done the right thing and it turned out consistent, but then other people think, oh, it's because it's consistent that this website is useful, so I'm gonna copy that. Mm -hmm. So they're copying instead of actually doing the research themselves. Hamburger menus. Yes, oh, excellent example, yes. <laughs> Where where we you know a UX design has has kind of adopted the hamburger menu as if it's kind of everyone understands it everyone knows exactly mm. what it means mm. and we're just going to roll it out there yes it's a complete nightmare it's completely a mixed level of understanding of what that actually will do I was uh, I was in a meeting three weeks ago when a designer actually said well that is that is now becoming common knowledge what a hamburger menu is and I fell out of my chair <laughs> I think do you know what we should actually carry buzzers with us. <laughs> um, and when someone says common knowledge, yeah. we should press a buzzer. Yeah, I've got four of them from our um, just you know our um, quiz Christmas quiz. Oh we yeah, did of the, uh, course. <laughs> so I'm, I might put one of them in my bag so I can start going, <laughs> woof, 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 the dog woof or something whenever someone says um, common knowledge. I have a big, huge bullshit button in my bag. 
Or yeah, I should. Oh, I have it in my studio. I should have it in my bag. In your bag. Yeah. But um, another thing I was thinking about with this: what what happens if current knowledge is inconsistent? As in, you've got um, divergent groups of users for your product or system or, or website. Right. The exa- I mean, I can I can use an example from what I've been working with. That um, you know, one of my projects we have um, a situation where um, most customers for the product and it's an enterprise product and most customers um, are from they use it from in the same manner as in they're a very similar manner they're from the same sector Mm. they're related whereas um, most users are from a specific sector with a very different set of knowledge Mm-hmm. So it's an example, actually. It's it's um, you know the group that's different is is more healthcare professionals, um, whereas the the group that with the most customers is more um, customer service, right. for example. Yeah. Um, so so there, the knowledge of these user groups is is very divergent, mm-hmm. um, and and that's that then creates a, a tension, a conflict between okay, what do what do you design for? Most most customers or most users, where's the knowledge? What what is the colonial knowledge? Which is the knowledge that rules? Well, uh, yeah, well that's the problem with anything that you build, really, isn't it? That you have it's a prioritization always. Uh, mm. Someone always has to be your primary persona, but that also means that you exclude other people. Uh, the trick is finding ways to not exclude, uh, of course, and that means just finding as many similarities as you can, diving deep. But I mean, if you build something that's Usually, what I, in my experience, when you build something that works really, really well for one group of people, other people will be able to learn it much easier than if you try to accommodate to all the needs of all the people. I think. Uh, well, I think some of this is also down to language, um, as, you know. Um, but anyway, I think um, possibly the answer to what I, to my own question is: you, you've you've got to find the the lowest common denominator. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than, as you mentioned, rather than making something so you're excluding a group. Uh, I mean, you can't exclude a group in this situation where you know, you've got a bulk of, of customers with one set and a bulk of users with another mm. kind of set of knowledge. Um, you'd have to find, you'd have to put the, you'd, you'd have to invest the time into finding out what does work for both. Or if you can't, you, you could also need to be aware that you could actually come to the conclusion that there is nothing that works for both. I mean, that could be a possibility. And then you'd have to build two different things. Yes, if, exactly. If, if they don't have the same need. Yeah. But, that, but then that would be per, that would be investing the time mm. in order to understand the lowest common denominator, which yeah. in that situation wouldn't be two separate products. That's the, that's the, you know, the basic thing that we have to do is mm. split this up into two distinct products or websites or offerings or whatever you, however you want to kind of wrap it up. Um, right. But it, but it still means that you've thought about the um, the the user. Yeah, and that you've done the work, mm. rather than being internally focused mm. and and focused on being consistent within the work you do. Mm. And I, I think this maybe even um, if we think about all the um, talk now about um, design systems, mm. um, which has become uh, a, a massive topic in recent years, and and for any of us that have wor- worked with with um, large systems and multiple products or a suite of products within organizations that uh, design systems are essential yeah or you just you just drown um amongst other things mm. um this how do you oh 
I say thought provoking, but how do we then still consider the um, the um, the knowledge of the the current knowledge of the users when you're spreading a design system across multiple realms? Yeah, that's when you need to consider that you maybe you need to know you need to understand when you're taking a shortcut and when you need or when you can take a shortcut by by stealing from your own design pattern library and your own design systems, and when you need to actually put in the work to understand, has something happened here that we need to, we need to change it? And you raised something that was really important before as well, that there could be something that we have in our design system that actually turns out to be wrong. It's consistent and it's wrong, so it's consistently wrong across the website, which means we need to build into our systems ways to change something across everything. And that's why, of course, we have CSS and, and CMS systems that should be able to do this for us. We will always need to be aware that something that is, if we build something across the site that is the same across the sites, then if it turns out to be bad, we need to be able to change it all and all over. How do we think about the kind of universal truths or you know, the common knowledge you said? Um, in, in Jared's article, um, the example he, he brings up um, is um, on um, um, avis.com where they use the, the asterisk, the little star, yeah. um, in forms to donate fields um, that, were, um, that were not mandatory. Yeah. So, that, that <laughs> <laughs> so, so basically the opposite of what um, common knowledge would say was, was what you did, as mm. in you would, you would normally put a star next to the fields mm. that you had to fill in. Um, and thinking as well about what we just said about um, hamburger menus. Yeah. When when does something get elevated to being true? You know, as in Jared says, you know, don't look, don't think about the consistency within your product necessarily. Mm. You're thinking about current knowledge. Mm. When who who is who is owning that kind of database of of information that says um, this pattern has now elevated to common knowledge and um, you know current current knowledge amongst the users accepts it and understands it, so it's okay to use. I think nobody owns it because there is no shortcut. You have to actually go out and talk to the people who are using your product. That's how you uh, investigate and understand and synthesize and realize, wow, they're not getting it, so we have to do it differently. Yeah. So they could have a theory. I mean, th they could absolutely have the hypothesis that, yes, we could try and denote the, uh, the fields that are not mandatory with an asterisk. But then that would show itself in the first user test, I think, <laughs> that that wouldn't work. So yeah. what, what they failed to do, and that is what I'm taking away from, they failed to actually test this with users to do the proper research to understand their target group. Yeah, I think we're, we're uh, a nice spot to finish off on would be to say that um, everything, absolutely everything is a hypothesis until you've done... Um, your 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 testing of it exactly yes um, and you know that's even the mm. case for all of these mm. common knowledge um, patterns mm. and so on or even things in your design system mm. that you're rolling out until you've actually applied it and, and tested it or done the research to mm. see whether it will be understood then mm. it, you don't know it's a hypothesis yeah so let's move on to the joys of polarity mapping which is an article by uh, Steven Anderson, uh, which is actually posted the day after Jared's. Uh, that doesn't really mean anything, but that was fun <laughs> trivia. <laughs> Clearly, it's, it's, it's all planned out. These, they, they gather together in a little room. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Content planning on the next uh, Steven Anderson was behind the mental notes cards. Remember those that were handed out at UXLX uh, 
one of the first ones we were at, I think, uh, many years ago in Lisbon. He, those were, they were all in our, our goodie bags, and everybody had cards. And, and we got, oh, you're showing them to me on camera now. <laughs> you have them. You brought them out. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I the still have them on my desk. The hunger effect I saw. Yeah, so those, I loved those. Uh, they were really cool. I had them on my desk for a long time. Uh, I actually have them just in my shelf here, so I'm two meters away from them. Uh, but Stephen is really good at putting together these artifacts that help us make sense of information. And he himself has fallen in love with a tool called polarity mapping. Uh, and it's, it's used for facilitating good conversations about complex topics. Uh, and he gives some examples, see if these, any of these tensions sound familiar. Should we do more learning or start building? Should we focus on innovation or efficiency? Should we prioritize deadlines or quality? And most people who work in any type of projects realize that, yes, these are typical things that people argue about. Is it now cost? Is it quality? Uh, is it time? That is the most important thing that we should focus on. And so this little tool that he's presenting in this article uh, called a polar polarity map uh, allows you or helps you to understand that these types of topics are never, never mutually exclusive. It's not that it's you have to choose one or the other because they're always present. Me choosing one doesn't mean you can ignore the other. They are both true. And that, become, that makes it a complex topic because we always have to consider ta uh, cost as well as time well, or time and quality. We can't just ignore one and just focus on one of them. Uh, so the tool helps you map that out by uh, thinking of the benefits of a focus on the left pole and the benefits of a focus on the right pole. So in his tool, he has actually chosen this always two, so it's a, a dual uh, system. There are two, two concepts that we are trying to help coexist. And uh, you can also think about, so what would be the unintended consequences if we focused on just this one or the other one? And that means you can build a system for understanding when could this potentially pose a problem? So he, he's focusing on the learning versus building uh, polarity problem uh, in his article. So are we learning about what to build or should we build it? Uh, and it's sometimes we argue a lot about, so we should focus a lot more on research before we build it. And some people say we should build it so that we can show people stuff so that we can learn from that. So both of them are true. We need to focus on both. Uh, and sometimes we need to focus on building and sometimes on learning, but we're focusing on both at the same time. Sometimes we need to understand what, what is going wrong. How, what are the unintended consequences of just focusing on building? Uh, it's an overfocus of an overfocus on the right pole in this example. What I also said was it's that um, the, the kind of looping between these, these two polarities um, is an important aspect of it. That you, you, you're not kind of like st stuck on one side or stuck on the other. You're, you're constantly switching between these, yes. these four quadrants mm. of benefits mm. of, of one polarity, benefits of the other polarity, mm. unintended consequences of the other polarity. Mm. And, and understanding how you move between the benefits mm. and unintended consequences is, is, is the whole essence, really, of, of, of understanding what's exactly. going on. So an example of the unintended consequences of, of just focusing on learning is that you have analysis paralysis. You have so much information, and you're trying to figure out what this would all mean, and the competitors beat you to market. 
which means you sort of need to realize when you're doing that so that you can move away from it. And maybe now we have to build something in order to not get stuck in the learning process and just spend too much time in it. Uh, for me, this is an excellent tool. It just makes a lot of things very clear. Uh, the only thing that I that I realized when I was looking at it, it doesn't have to be polar. It doesn't have to be just two items because the things I mentioned at the beginning, uh, which I am coming across right now in my projects. So is it most important that we focus on keeping costs down? Is it most important that we focus on getting it delivered in time? Or is quality the most important? I could actually map all those three items into this same tool, uh, which is what I've actually started trying to do, uh, which means that yes, Somebody may say that it's more important to focus on one of them, but that will have its unintended consequences, which means that we have to actually uh, think about them all of, all of them at the same time and realize when and put up all these warning signals. When are we uh, triggering the unintended or unwanted consequences even? Like putting up an early warning system and having in meetings bringing up how do we know that we are reaching now the unintended consequences of just focusing on cost or just focusing on learning or building, like he's saying. But but at the same time, I think I think there's um, there's a real advantage with with keeping to polarities mm -hmm. um, because the complexity, of course, will 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 increase by you know a huge amount when you start bringing in extra dimensions um, to this tool. I mean, going from two to three and three to four is 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 incredible task. Because I, I one of my reflections when I was reading this um, was also, oh wow, this is really this is really good because mm -hmm. we we're constantly in in our organisations trying to solve these issues. Yeah. You know, like ad agile was a way of solving time to market um yeah it's, it's an answer and it's a dogma mm. whereas in you know what steven says is is in the reality is that no we're never solving this we're just um we, we're just moving we're just dealing with a balance mm. and as we've always said you know, we used to say balancing you know user technology and um business all in the same thing which is what you mm. we we try to do um but i started to think then okay once you've got these polarities you can use the tool to map it, then mm. I think it will be really good um, for surfacing um, understanding or, or coming to understanding. But how do you decide on the polarities? I mean, you, you sidestepped it by saying, just make it three, which I don't think, I think that kind of maybe is missing a healthy part of the, of the process. You could be very well be right. I mean, because like, mm. I, I was trying to map it into my own experiences mm. thinking, mm. well, how do you how do you know which two things are fighting against each other? Y mm -hmm. You 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 don't always know if it's um, if it's if it's um, um, quality. Um, uh, what was the one you said? You said quality and quality cost and time. quality and cost. Mm. You said quality cost and time. Yeah, yeah. Well, we said quality and cost. Mm. Um, if we take those two, is it those ones, um, or is it innovation or efficiency? Mm. Um, how do you come to the point of knowing that's the friction in your organization? Um, and, and I actually don't really have a good answer to mm. that. Um, I, mean, I, th I think you, you've got to feel, you've got to get a feeling for what's going on in your organization to be able to you know, pencil down um, what, it, what it is that your organization um, perceives as being... Um, um, well, polarities that need that are connected and need to be balanced. Mm. 
That's a, that's so, a good point. You, I mean, the the conflict has to be there before you can start mapping it out. So it, it needs to be really clear what the conflict perhaps is. Uh, and that's probably why I jumped into those three, because that is the conflict I'm having right now. So maybe I will actually land in that it will be two of them that are most important to think about. But And the third one is obviously something that will be taken into account anyway. Mm. Uh, but that, that will be something I, I will want to try, because what I really like about it is the early warning system thinking, that you have measurable indicators, things that you can count that will let you know that you are getting into the downside of the right pole or the left pole. How will we know that we're focusing on the wrong thing right now in this current moment and should move on to the other side of, of this polarity map? Mm. Stephen himself mm. in the article, mm. he, he, he says language matters. Mm. Um, so I think this ties in with understanding, you know, evaluating, understanding what the polarities are because you're, you're then building shared understanding about what polarities you're working with and trying to balance. Yeah. So then you can understand when you're, like you say, when you're dipping um, into the, the unintended consequences or when you're kind of pushing um, the benefits of one polarity um, too much compared to the benefits of another polarity. Yeah. I just thought of one. I don't know why. But sometimes people argue now we shouldn't have meetings. We should just have stand -up, short stand-up meetings. For me, those are polarities. Because sometimes you need the longer meetings to dive deep into a topic. Because sometimes you need the shorter meetings because you spend too much time in meetings and not actually working on stuff. That, that. is that is something actually I could really see me mapping out. When what what? How do we know that we should have longer meetings, and how do we know that we just need a, a short stand-up meeting? That pair, I think you've just come up with an excellent mm. practical test of this mm. that almost any of us out there and listening can actually try. Yeah, get your team. To, to to try and map out the the polarities of um, meetings versus stand-ups, mm. or 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 in you know longer meetings versus short meetings. Mm. If you want to, I mean, however, whatever phrases you, you want to go back to the language, mm. whatever phrases you want to put them on, but have them as your two polarities: long meetings and short meetings, yeah. and and map it out and see what you come to. I think it would be, uh, I think that'd be a really good way of starting off with this. That's actually a good point because it's a simple topic and everybody has an opinion about, opinion about it. And usually that is very polar. People say, oh, we don't need those meetings. And people say, well, the stand-up meetings are too short. And, and, and it's like that they obviously both need to exist. And that's why this is a good map. Yeah, because mm. you, can't, you yeah. can't do with – you can't mm. exist with just one of them. You can't yeah. survive only on stand-ups. Yeah. You can't – uh, you'd drown if you just had um, um, long, mm. in-depth, um, three-hour mm. workshops every day. Exactly. And that could give you a decision support system for actually deciding what type of meeting you're going to have in the end. Yeah. On the, um, on the article it's itself, um, uh, Stephen published actually on UX Ma Master Mastery, uxmastery.com, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. um, he does actually have links to um, PDFs Oh, um, yes. Mm. For the actual um, polarity map yes. um, to use in workshops. Um, and he also gives a link um, to a polarity map um, um, that, well, he says it's, um, um, it's completed. No. Or a complete I, one. Actually, oh, no, oh, I, I, I clicked on ah, it. I, I, I thought see. the same as you. I thought exactly the same as you. It says complete polarity map. And I thought, oh, it's filled out. But it's actually not. It's just the one that you actually use. But the other one is poster. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I did, actually looked at the poster, and mm. I didn't look at the other link until now because mm. um, I thought it was an example. Yeah. Um, and it's not. It's actually just the... It's, it's more of a kind of um, 
uh, reduced map, just simplified. Exactly. I guess. Uh, but either way, there's links to PDFs at the end of the article, yes. which I think um, you could really um, use. And that was Stephen's Christmas present to the UX community. That's how I found this article uh, by UXmas, actually, the Advent calendar for UXers. And and you all you all get it as a as a, a New Year present. Yes. Thank you for spending some um, time with us today. Um, as always, links and notes from this episode can be found on uxpodcast.com. And if you want something to listen to next, um, I would recommend episode 89, which is where um, Stephen Anderson joined us uh, as part of a panel um, when we discussed um, MVPs. And another episode that you could possibly dabble into now is episode 120, Product Management and UX, with Melissa Perry. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Knock, knock. Who's there? Udder. Udder who? Udder madness with all these knock, knock jokes. <laughs>